You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Today's scripture is found in the book of Acts chapter 17. Then Paul stood in front of Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely spiritual you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made this world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breathe all the things. From one ancestor, he made all peoples to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for the God and perhaps fumble about for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we, too, are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in his righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I'm here to tell you that the lions lost because my friend's son, Alex, didn't eat grits that morning. And because Danielle took a shower at halftime and she thought, I should probably put my blue sweatshirt back on, but they did so well in the first half, I'm just going to wear my pajamas. And because Mandy decided to watch the game at her brother's house instead of her own house like she'd watched the first two. On the other hand, Jeff refused to make any post-game plans so as not to jinx it, and Elizabeth refused to say that the Lions were going to make it to the Super Bowl so as not to jinx it, and Nora and Katie prevented a loss by making the same cookies each game. But ultimately, I am sure that the reason the Lions lost is because I told my family that if they won, I would preach about them on Super Bowl Sunday. Do you have superstitions? Do you cross your fingers or knock on wood or hold your breath when you drive by a cemetery or don't step on a crack or walk under a ladder, throw salt over your shoulder when you spill it? I know it's silly. We all know it's silly. Things like that don't really make a difference, but they help us feel like we have some kind of control over what is beyond our control. It's called magical thinking. The belief that one's ideas, one's thoughts, actions, words, or use of symbols can influence the course of events in the material world. 
Magical thinking presumes a causal link between one's inner personal experience and the external physical world. Bedtime Stories, the movie, suspends reality, lets us think about what could happen if we really believe that something will happen because a story said it would. Like gumballs falling from the sky or like getting kicked out of nowhere or knowing exactly when the rain will start. Skeeter is a caretaker in a hotel and the hotel was originally owned by his father. It was a modest hotel. He grew up there. They lived there in the hotel, but it became time for his father to sell. He could no longer longer afford it, and so it was bought. But the man who bought it said to his father, don't worry, your son will one day be in charge of this hotel. Well, they expanded the hotel. It was larger, beautiful, and Skeeter still lived there as the caretaker. We see him give excellent care to guests. He's doing the work well. He's still living there and hoping one day soon that promise will come true. Well, he gets a call from his sister. His sister needs help, and uh, she has to go away, and she needs him to watch her son and daughter, his niece and nephew, and so he does. He agrees to, and they move in for the week with him in the hotel, and every night he tells them bedtime stories. After the first one, he discovers that the story came true the next day. And so he comes up with some ideas of what he would like to happen. Like have someone give him a million dollars or get to kiss the girl or have someone give him a Ferrari. But what he learns, though, is that that's not how it works. It's not what he tells in the story that happens. It's what the kids say, what they add to the story. And so he gives them suggestions about what they might want to say, but they don't say those things. And so ultimately, through living out these dreams, he discovers what matters most to him. He was believing in what he wanted, not what he needed. Our wants often eclipse our needs. They lead us into putting our faith in what we desire, and somehow, no matter what, no matter how much scientific knowledge that we have, Physical reality is never enough. We know that there's something more, and we yearn for it. Athens, Greece. It was a university town. It was known for the acquisition of knowledge and scientific advancements. It was a town full of sophisticated intellectuals. They also knew there was something more. They didn't know what it was, just that somewhere, in addition to the gods that they had created, there could still be some unknown god out there. And so they crossed their fingers, so to speak. They covered their bases by praying to whomever that god might be in hopes that their prayers, their wishes, what they wanted would come true. Paul was in Athens to build the church, to show them the way to Christ, and he's not impressed with the people of Athens, and so he says to them, maybe in a way to win them over, or maybe in sarcasm, I see how extremely spiritual you are. And seizing upon their fascination with the new, he tells them about his God. 
This God is different than the one that they have conj- ones they have conjured up. He tells them about God who created the world and the God is the one and only true God. This God knows them. This God doesn't live in shrines. This God's not far from us. This God lives with us, is with us. And this God gives us life and breath and everything. In God, we live and move and have our being. We have fantasies about luck and chance, our ways of magically thinking, but do we really believe them? Do we really believe that unless I wear this sweatshirt, the lions will lose? Or because that I said my kid hasn't been sick in a really long time, they get sick the next day. Now, that really does happen, but we don't believe in that. In the movie, things happen to Skeeter because of magic, and it's fun, it's funny, it's a feel-good movie. We discover that with all of the magic and the uh, stories that come true, really, in the end, what Skeeter wanted was to follow that original dream, to have a whole hell like his dad did, that was modest and that was full of imagination, and having a partner who loved him for who he was, a family. Sometimes we believe in what we want or create or make up what we want instead of what we need. We put our faith in fate and worry about jinxes, but ultimately we know that that's not how the world works. And still we put our faith in other things. Maybe not magic. Maybe we put our faith in another person or the opinions of others or a sport or a club or maybe we put it in status or money or success or appearances or power or ideas to obsess about. Maybe we allow the gods that we've created to become what we worship and then throw off a prayer every once in a while to an unknown god to cover our bases. Why do we put our faith in other things? Are we not satisfied with God's blessings, God's faithfulness? Well, in the spirit of the story, of the movie, Bedtime Stories, I have a story for you. It's about a man, and he was driving along, and his car broke down, and it broke down in front of this beautiful, large, uh, old monastery. So he went to the door because he needed help and he knocked on the door and the monk answered and he told them what happened, told the monk what happened and the monk invited him in and said, we can fix your car, we'll do it in the morning, why don't you spend the night with us? And so he came in and they fed him, he sat down to a nice dinner and then they gave him his own room and he got to sleep there and so he went to sleep. But in the middle of his sleep, he was awakened he awoke to this very strange and beautiful sound. It was curious, but wonderful. And so the next morning, he asked the monks about the sound. They were fixing his car, and he went up to them, and he said, please tell me, what is the sound? And they said, we're sorry, we can't tell you what that sound is. You're not a monk. Well, they fixed his car, and the man thanked them, and he left. But he went on to just think about this sound a lot. It just kept, 
he just kept focusing on it and focusing on it. And so a few years later, he was driving by the monastery again, and, and he decided he was just going to stop. And maybe this time they would tell him. And so he went to the door, and they invited him in again and gave him a meal. He had his own room. He went to sleep. And once again, he was awoken by that beautiful, strange sound. And so sure enough, the next morning at breakfast, he asked the monks again, what is that sound? And the monk said, we're sorry, we can't tell you, you're not a monk. Well, now his curiosity had become an obsession. And so he decided that he was just going to become a monk, and he gave up everything to become a monk. He took 17 years to become a monk. He did all of this study, and after 17 years, he was established as a member of the order, and after that celebration, welcoming him in, he humbly went to the leader and asked about the source of the sound. And the old man silently led him to a huge wooden door. He opened the door with a golden key. The door uh, swung open to reveal a second door of silver. And then there was a third door of gold and so on until they had passed through 12 doors, each door more magnificent than the last. The man's face was awash with tears of joy, and finally he beheld the source of that strange and beautiful sound, the sound that had become his obsession, his reason for being, his one great desire in the world, his sound. Well, I can't tell you, you're not a monk. (laughs) It's a legend or a joke. But there's some truth to it. Now, we can argue that this led him to what he ultimately needed or um, that that was what he ultimately needed. But the story reminds us that ideas can take us over. They can become an obsession. Maybe it's an opinion that blocks new information, that inhibits you from participating in things, that affects your friendships. It becomes so central to who you are that it might as well be your religion. There's no room for God. We might actually call that a sin because it gets in the way of your relationship with God. You're unwilling to let go and trust God, to put faith in God. Instead, you put it in an object or an idea or a magical thought. When Skeeter was so focused on the bedtime stories, he lost sight of what was in front of him and his reality was skewed. The things that really mattered in his life were overlooked. The same thing happens to us. We're not putting our faith in bedtime stories. Maybe we just struggle to put our faith in God, to trust God with providing what we need. Maybe it's hard to really believe in the God that we can't see. Maybe it's hard to believe that God could really love us as we are. Maybe it's just too hard to live in the gray, to feel like we have no control, to want proof and answers. Or maybe we've just put so much energy into satisfying ourselves that we haven't realized that what we're really longing for. We find those things that don't give us grace and love and guidance that we need. Even if they give us a moment of happiness that we want, they don't get us through the tough times. They don't provide for us when we're hurting. They don't lead us into directions of hope and possibility. They don't engage us in making the world better. When we put our faith in things rather than God, we dream about what we want and not about what we need. 
Faith in God is where we get our hope and our direction. Does putting our faith in God mean that everything turns out the way we want, always, that our wishes come true? No. That doesn't happen. God is not some great puppeteer in the sky. God doesn't take our wants and cast a magic spell to make them happen. But what God will do is help us through, is give us direction, is be with us every moment of every day, and God will love us. God will guide us to what we need. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.